Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. show underway. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's podcast of the Miller Frost Show. I am your host and still America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual, Miller Frost, here as always with white boy Malcolm X. And remember, you can reach me at my new email address, miller at millerfrostonline.com. And as always, we have got a lot of great stories for you in the, in the pile. And I think, white boy Malcolm X, I think this is going to be our gayest show ever. And I'm only doing this because White Boy Malcolm X's birthday is, it's like a birth month for you or something. It's It comes up uh, here soon. Not not this week, but the following week. But for some reason, for the next two shows, we're going to do the gay stuff first because that, that makes him happiest. So this is our gayest show. You won't believe White Boy Malcolm X's stories. We're going to do the... It's the gay stuff, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into some of this. Well, everything is race these days. Anyway, so even in the gay stuff, there's race stuff, but our gayest show ever. White Boy Malcolm X, I was going to ask you, now that you're done with your Zac Efron dad bod show, what are you watching these days? Is is that the, um, the not kickboxing, what are the, MMF? It's Kingdom. Okay, Kingdom. You're, of course you are. <laughs> yeah, a lot of white trash there. I'm I'm just watching I'm I'm rewatching a bunch of things. I I like I rewatched uh the last two alien shows, um Covenant, which was the most recent, and then the one with that was uh th- thank you, Prometheus. So I just I, I rewatched those and then I'm I'm finishing I'm trying to finish up Greyhound on Apple T V tonight, which is really good. It's just it's nonstop. So I had to like step back from it. But we're not stepping back here, obviously. So let's jump in to our gayest show ever. SNL adds black lesbian cast member Punky Johnson. Have you ever heard of Punky Johnson? <laughs> well, I, I'm about to tell you. Punky Johnson, a black lesbian comedian and writer, that's who she is exactly, has joined the legendary sketch comedy show that has aired on NBC since 1975 and hasn't been funny since about 1990. I added that part. Well, I I don't think it's been funny since, like like Phil Hartman those days. It just hasn't been. I just haven't found it funny. It's kind of stupid. But Johnson's past credits include Space Force, Corporate, Adam Ruins Everything, and Bill Burr Presents The Ringers. She performs regularly at Hollywood's famed Comedy Store and appeared at the Just for Laughs Festival in 2019. Johnson is open about her LGBT plus 
Oh, sorry. LGBTQ plus identity in her material. I don't want to get that wrong. God forbid. At Just for Laughs, she performed a set about how role play saved her marriage. She has been in a relationship with a woman for about 17 years. Well, that's what a lesbian is. One of those role play scenarios she divulged is a quote unquote heterosexual couple. We like this game because it makes us feel like we're part of the real world, Johnson quipped in the bit. What? Yes, there are, there are, are certainly two questions there. Who's the man? And the, the other one I, I had, White Boy Malcolm X, was would you consider this cultural appropriation that they're playing heterosexual? As, as, as would I. No, this gets better. Johnson joins Bowen Yang and Kate McKinnon in the show's contingent of LGBTQ plus cast members. Did you know Kate McKinnon was an LGBTQ plus? I had no idea. Can you imagine the box checking going on at Saturday Night Live? What are you? What are you? Okay, I can see the black. I'll check that off. You like you like other women? You like transgenders? What do you like? What do you like there? Give me something else. Gotta have more. I would hate to be Punky Johnson. Oh, you're the black lesbian. Not that she's a great comedian. Not that she's a writer. She's a black lesbian comedian and writer. You got to check those two boxes. Because just being a great comedian and writer isn't enough. They got to make sure that everyone knows that she's black and everyone knows that she's a lesbian. You know, I thought we we cleared this up with the transgender community because I I gave them my recommendation. Now, granted, I am America's most beloved self-loving homosexual, but I gave them a recommendation to kind of chill out with people and not be so vindictive about people who disagree with them. But I guess they haven't listened to me. J.K. Rowling banned from bookshelves to create a safe space for the trans community. Because J.K. Rowling is basically, if Satan ever died, apparently she can just go slot, slot right in there and take over because she literally is the devil right now. J.K. Rowling, a vicious, vicious, vicious transphobe, apparently, allegedly. No, not even allegedly. No, there's no alleging. She said one thing, she's transphobe for like when she dies in like 20, 30 years. That's, that's what they're going to start the obituary with. J.K. Rowling a vicious transphobe who just happened to write this little children's novel series called Harry Potter, passed away, thank God, because we hope she's in hell for being a transphobe. J.K. Rowling books have been banned by an Australian store as a show of support for the trans community. Rabble Books and Games in Maylands, Perth, announced, and Perth is on the western side of Australia, if you don't know that. It's like on the Australia is on the ass end of nowhere, but Perth is on the ass end of ass end of nowhere. It's like literally there's no there's nothing anywhere around there. So I guess that's all they have to do out there is in Perth is pick on J.K. Rowling announced on Wednesday, September 16th, that it had ceased stocking new novels by J.K. Rowling, including those under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith. Harry Potter books will be removed from bookshelves, but will be available by request. And the only people who are going to go in there and order them are clearly transphobes. The profits from any that are sold will be donated to the trans and gender diverse support service, Transfolk of WA. We are always trying to make Rabble a safer space for our community. And part of that is trying not to put books by transphobes on the shelves when we know about them, said, said owner Nate Ladder on Facebook. Well, that's that's nice, I guess, but, you know, they're not on the shelves, but apparently you can still go in and, and order the transphobe book. So you can walk in there and go, can I have a Harry Potter book? And they'll look at you and go, oh, 
whilst, of course, Australian, whilst stocking a book isn't an endorsement and we will always take orders for books that aren't in stock, even those written by transphobes. There are more worthy books to put on the shelf, books that don't harm communities and won't make us sad to unpack them. Oh, poor baby. I hope there's a trigger warning on those books. So apparently Nat Ladder, who owns a stupid bookstore, is a virtue signaling drama queen. Ladder welcomes any new recommendations for queer and trans-positive fantasy books for young people. What, White Boy Malcolm X, what is a trans-positive fantasy book? I don't know. I mean, you can't even come up with anything quippy on that one. For young people, as well as crime books for adults. The bookshop made its announcement after the release of Rowling's new Galbraith book, Troubled Blood, which has sparked renewed controversy around the author. Ahead of the publication, an early review revealed that the crime novel features a <gasps> cis male serial killer who dresses as a woman to lure his cis female victims. You can't just put a male serial killer and a female serial female victims anymore, can you? You have to put the cis in front of everything because people are like, what are you talking about? You're talking about trans or you're talking about cis? So apparently now everything's got to be cis. The Telegraph Review for Troubled Blood describes it as a, quote, book whose moral seems to be never trust a man in a dress, though subsequent reviews have refuted this and downplayed the significance of the character. Well, I, I don't know about you, White Boy Malcolm X, but I'm not going to trust a man in a dress. Just saying. But I am America's most beloved self-loving homosexual. And if I keep this up, I will also be Australia's <laughs> most beloved self-loving homosexual. Glad director of transgender representation, Nick Adams noted the book followed a long line of material using a lazy cross-dressing psychopathic killer trope, which has been created over and over by <gasps> cisgender people. <laughs> this false, and yes, I'm going to do the gay voice for glad director of transgender representation, Nick Adams. This false and lazy storytelling device is based not in reality, but in thinly disguised homophobia and transphobia and conflates gender nonconformity with evil, Adams told Pink News. See, this is why I'm going to get in trouble, White Boy Malcolm X, for doing the gay stuff first, because I'm already riled up. Oh, no, 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 this, this goes on. This, this story goes on. Gender expression isn't a danger to others. These false narratives put real transgender and gender nonconforming people in harm's way. Well, apparently gender expression is a danger to others because J.K. Rowling was, you know, expressing her opinion on gender. And, and look what she got. I mean, I guess they need a safe space. I'm done. I'm done with that story. Here we go, White Boy Malcolm X. Another one for you. It's, this is the half story. Church's woke advert. And this is from the Daily Mail. Church's woke advert featuring a bearded Jesus with women's breasts and makeup sparks outrage. So it's kind of a half story because it could be technically a transgender Jesus, but it also could be a drag queen Jesus. We just don't know yet. Let's dig in. The Church of Iceland's new woke ad welcoming people to Sunday school has sparked... <laughs> That's not how they welcomed me to Sunday school back when I was a kid. Has sparked outrage after it featured a bearded Jesus with breasts, makeup, and a dress. Like I said earlier, I don't trust any man in a dress. Even... Well, I shouldn't say even Jesus, but it's a, like a cartoon Jesus. The advert, which apparently shows Jesus shaking his breasts while dancing under a rainbow. Oh my God, it's gay transgender Jesus. 
<laughs> appeared on the National Church's Facebook page on September 11. The advert has since been deleted from the church's page, but will be depicted on buses in the Icelandic capital Reykjavik for at least another two weeks. The church said in a statement, the 2020 Assembly of the National Church, this is why you don't want church and state, apparently. The 2020 Assembly of the National Church regrets that the picture of Jesus in a Sunday school advertisement has hurt people. Oh, the goal was to emphasize diversity, not to hurt people or shock them. Peter George Markin, media representative for the Church of Iceland, said that it is positive for Jesus Christ to appear in different forms, even if it's a, in a dress with breasts, and that the church celebrates diversity. Marklin added, in this one, we see a Jesus who has breasts and a beard. We're trying to embrace society as it is. We have all sorts of people, and we need to train ourselves to talk about Jesus as being all sorts in this context. What the hell, white boy Malcolm X, is going on in Iceland? That is society. <laughs> people walking around with beards, dresses, and breasts. I wanted to go there, but now I'm ter terrified to get off the plane. Especially because it's really important that each and every person see themselves in Jesus and that we don't stagnate too much. That's the essential message. So this is okay. It's okay that Jesus has a beard and breasts. <laughs> Oh, yes, happy birthday, White Boy Malcolm X. However, he was also aware of the online backlash, adding, we know that not everyone agrees Christ should appear this way, and we do, of course, respect that. No, they don't. No, they, they don't, White Boy Malcolm X. They, they just, they say they do, but they, they really don't. This is just kind of pushing the window a little bit in your face, a little bit in your face. So you, we know, we know for a fact that especially with these kind of leftists that if you disagree with them, they're going to call you homophobic. They're going to call you transphobic and call you all racist. They're going to call you all sorts of names. So they do not respect that in the least. Marklin said that the same artist who designed the ad will begin work on a new campaign. Let's double down. Soon we'll be introducing more personifications where, for example, you'll see Jesus making a contribution to environmental issues. Oh my God. Now they, they, Remember Piss Christ when they put the crucifix of Jesus Christ in a jar of urine? That's that's what liberals think of Christianity and, and, and Jesus, and obviously in a dress with breasts. So the world, literally, the world has gone mad. It has. I, I, I guess there are literally, they have run out of societal issues for the church to advocate on behalf of in, in, in Iceland there, if that's what they're going for. Cynthia Nixon on why she identifies as queer. Actress, yes, queer, white boy Malcolm X. Actress Cynthia Nixon confirms she identifies as queer in a new interview with Attitude magazine. The revelation comes two years after she was first asked if she identified as queer. At the time, she was mum about it, telling a reporter simply, it's personal. Now she says that she's had time to reflect, explaining that lesbian, gay, or bisexual never seemed particularly right for her. To say queer means I'm over there. I don't have to go into the nuances of my sexuality with you, said Nixon, who began dating her now wife, Christine Marinoni, in 2004 after splitting from her husband of 15 years. Falling in love with my wife was one of the great delights and surprises of my life, but it didn't seem like I became a whole new person or like some door had been unlocked. It was like I have fallen in love with different people in my life and they've all been men before. Now this is a woman, and she is amazing, she reflects. 
So I feel like queer is an umbrella term and it includes my formerly straight self too. I don't think that's what queer means, but okay. Discussions about her gender identity and expression have... Wait, wait, Malcolm X, are you gay or are you queer? Well, I don't know what the damn difference is. I thought they meant the same thing. I thought gay and queer were pretty much... Or lesbian and queer were pretty much the same thing. But there is a nuance to it that I'm reading this. And I guess it means if you were like... If you're not a gold star gay, I'll say that, right? If you don't know what a gold star gay is, a gold star gay is, is a guy... I don't know if lesbians have this too, but a gold star gay man is a gay man who has never slept with a woman. That's you. You're called a, well. You're called a gold star, and you know, F A G. But I'm not going to say that. But you're a gold star gay. We'll say that. I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. Bisexual and queer. I can see there's a there's a, a oh I've got some I've got some good bisexual stories coming up. Just you wait, wait by Malcolm X. But lesbian, gay, queer. I I don't know what the damn difference is. So. Discussions about her gender identity and expression have been a hot topic at Nixon and Marinoni's dinner table. <laughs> it's one insufferable liberal after another. Her eldest child, Samuel, identifies as transgender. Nixon has also been actively protesting on the streets against white supremacy and police brutality, having attended the Queer Liberation March in June, as well as Black Lives Matter protests. And that is exactly what Black Lives Matter needs. More rich white people, <laughs> especially in New York. I mean, is that nutty ginger chick, is she not enough for Black Lives Matter? I guess not. Now you got Cynthia Nixon, the queer, and her wife and her transgender child joining Black Lives Matter. Okay, white boy Malcolm X, are you ready for this? Did you know, this is not quite your birth week, but did you know that it's Bisexual Awareness Week this week. No, it is. It is Bisexual Awareness Week. And if, folks, if you don't know what bisexual is, it's where you'll pretty much do anyone. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> you'll, you'll bang them all. And this is an advocate article because we all need to be worried about this. How to fight biphobia in others and yourself. So, White Boy Malcolm X, you could be biphobic, and we're about to find out. It's Bisexual Awareness Week, an annual celebratory event that advocates for the rights of bi people. One of the key ways to do this is to fight biphobia, which is defined as the fear, intolerance, and hatred of people who identify as bisexual. For bi youth who live at the intersection of multiple identities, biphobia can be particularly harmful, as opposed to disproportionately harmful, compromising their mental health and safety. Statistically, bi youth face more hurdles than even gay and lesbian peers. Nearly half of this group seriously considered suicide in the past year, according to the Trevor Project, the world's largest suicide prevention crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ plus young people. Moreover, 66% felt sad or hopeless for two or more weeks in a row in the past year, compared to 27% of straight peers and 49% of gay peers. Handily, the Trevor Project has released a report, How to Support Bisexual Youth, with guidelines on how to fight against this kind of prejudice in others, as well as internalized biphobia, the unexamined biases many hold about members of this demographic. Here are four key ways, White Boy Malcolm X, to challenge assumptions about bi people from Trevor's report. 
If you assume that a person is gay or straight based on their current relationship, work to reframe your understanding that the people in that relationship could be of any gender or sexual orientation. You just don't know what's under the hood or what hood they like to go under. <laughs> Take people for their word if they share a multisexual identity with you. I don't know. I guess a multisexual identity is you'll do anyone. Affirm and uplift the bisexual people in your life. <laughs> I'm just going to break those pom-poms out, girl. Because you're just, you'll do anyone. You go, you bisexual beast, you. If you can, this is why I'm America's most beloved. And soon to be Australia's most beloved self-loving homosexual. I want to be the world's most beloved self-loving homosexual by the time this is all over. If you see or hear an example of biphobia or bi-erasure, what is bi-erasure? Well, I don't of racing, of racing by people. I don't know how you do that. Address it by sharing that bisexuality is real and valid, as well as resources to learn more about bi identities. I guess people who are bi deniers, they could be like people like me. <laughs> like, no, you're not really bisexual. You just you you'll still put a penis in your mouth. Sorry to be vulgar about it, but it's true, right? These bisexual guys, you'll still put a penis in your mouth. <laughs> so you're kind of gay. But not really. But that's technically by erasure in that sense, white boy Malcolm X. So your responsibility, according to this, is to share with me that bisexuality is real and valid. And then you need to go to the Trevor Project and get resources to learn more about bi identities and you can you can lecture me on that. But we can do that later. By multi oh, they are they are they are they are defining some of this for us. By multi-sex identity, Trevor is referring to a range of identities that include romantic and or sexual attraction to people of more than one gender. Queer, that word is all over the place today. Pansexual, fluid, omnisexual, ebrosexual, and scoliosexual all find, fall under this umbrella. What is abrosexual? Yo bro, no, it's just like a straight guy. Yo bro, abrosexual. Scolios, I don't know what these are. I don't really care either. By erasure. Oh, this is what by erasure is. I should have read it a little farther. Another manifestation of biphobia is any act that denies or challenges the existence of bisexuality. Boom, I got it. I nailed that and I didn't even read that ahead of time. Calling this identity a phase. <laughs> yeah, I just did that. Assuming that a same gender couple is gay and a different gender couple is straight or imposing another label on a bi person are all examples. And that's the professional gay class for you. You know, I actually have given money to the Trevor Project. No, 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 that is true. That is a true. What, back, and I'll give you a, a quick story because we've got more gay stories for White Boy Malcolm X, and it's his birthday week. Weeks. It's now weeks now. Uh, but no, back when I lived in L.A., I there's something, just something that I am kind of passionate about, about giving money for this, you know, to to help gay youth kind of transition out. I, I had a, I would say, a, a relatively easy transition out, uh, which I will talk about at some other time. But I mean, when I came out, I was very lucky, but not everyone is. And so when I heard about the Trevor Project when I lived in L.A. and they do sponsor a 24-hour hotline, I thought, what a great group to give money to. And then my ex and I got invited because we gave them a lot of money. We got invited to like their annual fundraiser. And we, so we, we you know, we went out and got like a table. We bought, I don't know how much we spent on that table, but a bunch of us went down and we got, you know, but it's all, it's, it, it is, it, when I talk about the professional gay class, I walked in there and it was every snitty queen 
from from LA was was in there and they came up and they were they introduced themselves and they were they were nice-ish but they were they were kind of prissy queens and at that point I was like I'm not paying for this anymore I'm just I'm not I support now if they had something right you didn't have to to pay for the the extravagant lifestyles of the professional gays that manage the place and you could just support the hotline I would give money to that but I'm not I'm not paying for the uh, the professional professional gays <laughs> almost slipped up there the professional gays to 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 go about in their cocktail swilling lifestyle. Speaking of bisexual, Florida Democrat Andrew Gillum comes out as bisexual. <laughs> Lucky for him, it's it's Bisexual Appreciation Week or whatever the hell it is. In a new interview with Tamron Hall, his first after going through a public scandal that involved drugs and accusations of infidelity, probably with a man, Florida Democrat Andrew Gillum has come out as bisexual. You didn't ask the question. You put it out there of whether I identify as gay. The answer is I don't identify as gay, but I do identify as bisexual, he said in the interview, which functioned as the season two debut of Hall's show. And that is something that I've never shared publicly before. In March, Gillum was found in a hotel room where there had been a drug overdose. According to police reports, he was found vomiting in the room while another man was passed out. Told you it was another man. At the time, Gillum denied using any drugs. Like my ex, no, that crystal meth pipe isn't mine. Yeah, can you see Gillum? No, I'm just throwing up for the heck of it. You know, the other guy, you know, it's all his drugs. And said he had too much to drink. Days later, he said in a statement that after his race for governor, he, quote, fell into a depression that has led to alcohol abuse, unquote. He committed to rehab. Well, that's convenient timing. It's bisexual appreciation week he needs to rehab his image boom he's bisexual this is from the philadelphia gay news meet uncle Lindsay, your gay neighbor who hates gay rights i i, I know they're talking about self-loving homosexuals me obviously they're going after me am i i guess i'm uncle Lindsay. <laughs> Oh my God! Yes, I guess I am. I am Uncle Lindsay. You know, you're Mrs. Hammer over there, and I'm Uncle Lindsay. A person regarded as betraying their cultural or social allegiance—that's the definition of the phrase Uncle Tom. It's a term used almost always to refer to a member of the Black Capital B Black community. In a re- <laughs> every article, White Boy Michael I am not making this up. When I get to the race stories, I, I whatever editor they're they're paying to like go through. And, and make sure that all the B's and the word black are capitalized. <laughs> They're probably like, you put a lowercase b. Oh, sorry, my mistake. I think that was a microaggression. You racist. You closet racist, you. I'll never do it again. Okay, here we go. Let's pick this back up. That's the definition of the phrase Uncle Tom. It's a term used almost always to refer to a member of the capital B black community. In recent years, the term has come under scrutiny, and there's been a push to stop using it altogether. A few years ago, Barney Frank, speaking of Queens, used the term to describe the log cabin Republicans, and he endured much criticism. But the question remains, what do we call those in the LGBT community who betray our struggle for equality? We need our own symbol. This has puzzled me for years to find that word or term. And there was never a time I wanted it more than last weekend when Richard Grinnell, a log cabin, card-carrying homosexual Trump supporter and former acting director of national intelligence, glibly tweeted something to the effect of, anyone who attacks me is a homophobe. Good for him. 
He's finally learning to play the game. That's what, you know, Mark Siegel, who wrote this article, would do. Oh, you disagree with me. You're just homophobic. So good for him. Good for Richard. We like Richard. That coming from someone who has supported Trump and his dismantling of LGBT rights more than anyone else. It's funny that an openly gay man is one of the biggest homophobes in the country. That's right, Dick. You are. White Boy Malcolm X, are you aware of any LGBT rights that Trump has even mentioned in the past three and a half years? Neither have I. It's just another... Mark Siegel is another drama queen who's stretching the truth a bit. That's what I'll say. And there's that question again. What do we call LGBT people who fight against the advancement of our community? Some are beginning to use the term Uncle Lindsay to refer to groups like log cabin Republicans and other LGBT people who actively campaign against LGBT rights. I'm just, I am not white by Malcolm X. I'm not an Uncle Lindsay because I do not advocate against LGBT rights. I like to make fun of some of them. Some of these professional gays that get their hair on fire, these dra- these silly drama queens, but it's not, I am for gay marriage, so I guess I can't be an Uncle Lindsay, but let's pick this back up. It has its roots with an anti-LGBT U.S. senator who many believe is closeted, Lindsey Graham. Now, I am against outing people who do not harm our community, but if you are a religious or political figure who attacks our community from the pulpit or the floor of the U.S. Senate, then you should be absolutely be outed as a hypocrite. If Senator Lindsay is closeted, then he fits this term well. But is he? Does it matter? Maybe not. No, just keep repeating the big lie often enough and maybe you'll convince everyone he is. Maybe by using it, that term becomes a tool. A tool that no closeted or homophobic politician wants. A tool that no self-loathing homosexual person wants. That is me. I am America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual. A tool to define and call out their hypocrisy. I'm not going to read it anymore. (laughs) You know, you're not a good gay. Unless you tow the party line, and towing the party line is is going to whatever the DNC website is and reciting that as if the Bible. So I guess I am an Uncle Lindsay. So not only am I America's most beloved self-loving homosexual, I am Uncle Lindsay. Screw these clowns. This is a nice story for you, white boy Malcolm X. We have how many more gay stories? We have three more gay stories for you. I told you, I told you folks, I warned you, I warned you at the very beginning. This is our gayest show ever, and we're gonna keep on keeping on. This is from The Advocate. Lifetime's first gay Christmas movie (laughs) will star real-life husbands. Oh, my God. I think I would hang myself if I... That's that's the the pinnacle of my career as a Lifetime movie. Exclusion of LGBTQ plus stories from holiday movies is now a thing of the past. With Netflix's Let It Snow, Freeform's The Thing About Harry, and Sony's upcoming queer... There's that word again. Kristen Stewart Mackenzie Davis star Happiest Season and Lifetime has just announced its cast for the gay-themed holiday movie The Christmas Setup which will star real-life married couple Blake Lee and Ben Lewis I have no idea who these two queens are Lewis will play Hugo a New York lawyer who goes to Milwaukee with his best friend Madeline to spend Christmas with his mom played by the nanny's Fran Drescher according to Deadline can you imagine being Fran Drescher? She's like, I was the nanny. Now I'm on Lifetime. My career is dead, dead, dead. A meddling matchmaker who also runs the local holiday festivities, Hugo's mom, Kate, arranges for him to run into his old crush, Patrick, who's home from his high-powered job in Silicon Valley. 
Oh, he's a techie. As the romance appears to be taking off, a wrench is thrown into the works when Hugo is offered a job in London. I am done. No, I'm not, I'm not reading. Who gets a cross? It's lifetime. Who cares? Harry Styles to go gay for pay in hotly anticipated adaptation of iconic queer romance, My Policeman. So queer, I guess, is now the word of the day. Like disproportionate. And if you don't know who Harry Styles is, he's I was that in One One Direction. He was a he was in a boy band, One Direction. And are they are they still around? I don't I don't I don't know. He doesn't. Michael Macamex does not think so. Harry Styles, who invented dangly earrings, and I don't know what that is about, and I don't really want to know what that's about, has been tipped to play a lead role in the upcoming film adaptation of queer book My Policeman. The untitled... What happened to just gay? I guess it's just a queer book. The untitled film, acquired by Amazon Studios, will be directed by Michael Gronage and adapted by Oscar-nominated writer Ron Neiswanger. While negotiations are still to be had, sources told Deadline that Styles is set to play gay cop Tom Burgess <laughs> and Lily James has snagged the role in the female lead. Can you see that that Pris Harry Styles? I'm a, I'm a gay cop. The 2012 novel by, and it, it, folks, if you don't know, it is a queer novel, by British author Bethan Roberts is set in the southern England port town of Brighton in 1957. The love triangle sees schoolteacher Marion and museum curator Patrick both fall for a gay policeman, Tom, played by Harry Styles, who apparently invented dangly earrings. With societal pressure weighing down on him from a homophobic England of 1957, Tom marries Marion. But Tom embarks on an affair with Patrick, who is a museum curator, with it being love at first sight when they first met at the Brighton Museum years prior. Patrick's life is thrown into disarray when Marion finds out about the affair, exposing him to the police and getting him arrested for indecency, with homosexuality being illegal at the time. What do you think, White <laughs> I agree, yeah. A prissy queen is he does he looks like a bit of a prissy queen so and and people you know what it's funny people we just had an article last last week was it that people were complaining and bitching is more a better word for it about call me by your name that army hammer and timothy chalamet movie about i don't know the, the love affair between those two and everyone's complaining about how they you know had two straight actors in this this great gay gay love story and now Harry Styles <laughs> is coming along. I don't see anyone bitching. Maybe everyone's like, well, it's just we're just waiting on that stupid queen to come out of the closet. This is how actors virtue signal. They're like they're like yelling at their 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 agents, get, get me a gay part. I wanna I wanna act like I'm gay and get me the Oscar. Last one, White Boy Malcolm X. The last gay story of this week. White gay man. <laughs> Not just gay men, white gay men. So it's, you know, this is the perfect story. We're getting into race. So this is the perfect story to kind of transition from gay to gay to race. White gay men refuse to stop partying during global pandemic that's killed 180,000 in the U.S. alone. <laughs> you damn white queen. Stop it. Across digital flyers and social media posts, the organizers of the Peach Party Atlanta 2020 urge attendees to come wearing face coverings and practice social distancing. Yet as much as the four-day festival was billed as a dialed-down affair, video footage taken at the sold-out circuit parties showed a vastly different story. At the August 28 Peach Party Tea Dance held at Atlanta LGBT Plus Club 
heretic. I have never been to the heretic, but they used to call it the hairy dick. I, I, I don't know. I've never been in there. I don't know why. It's a kind of a sleaze bar from what I understand, but I've never been in. So here it is right there. The hairy dick. <laughs> Scores of I we are checking off the uh, the the profanity box again this week I assume scores of party goers stuffed into the one thousand <laughs> girls just get in here just keep stuffing them in there into the one thousand square foot wide space across three patios fans occasionally dotted the dance floor despite signs instructing party goers to maintain a distance as well as wear masks the dance area was rammed <laughs> they were rammed and they were stuffed with countless men, white men no doubt, pressed up against one another, and barely anyone was wearing a mask. Similar scenes took place at a second Peach Party event held at the Harry Dick the following night, as well as another event at District Atlanta on August 30, according to social media videos uploaded by attendees. Just one event was held outdoors. The other six were in nightclubs, spaces considered by health experts as Petri dishes for the coronavirus. And that's not all. For nine years, Peach Party has been a highlight of the Georgia Circuit Party calendar and a crucial way for the city's LGBT plus community to blow off steam. And I have absolutely no idea what that means. There are a lot of jokes there. I'm just not going to touch that, I don't think. I I have lived in Atlanta twice, and I was back there, when was that, 2013 to 14, I think? 14 to 15. I can't, I can't remember anymore, but... I had I don't go to I've never been to a circuit party. It's like tons. My ex would go to them, and apparently it's like thousands and thousands of drugged out, drunk, you know, queens raging the night away. So that's that's what they're getting here at the at the Harry Dick coronavirus be damned. But just a bunch of white people. We don't want that. God forbid. This is from the SF Gate, Fall of the Frat House. Students target Greek life amid a racial awakening. And yes, we're getting into the race stuff now. This is the fun part. Graham Payne Reichardt, and that Payne Reichardt, or however you pronounce that, is a hyphenated last name. You know what you get with those. Logged onto... No, I'm not, not going to say... It's going to get me in more trouble than I need today. Logged onto Zoom from a lawn chair in the backyard of his unofficial fraternity house, surrounded by three other members of Delta Tau Delta and a futon that had mysteriously snapped in half a few months before. Hmm, I wonder why. He watched faces appear one by one on his screen, first his former roommate, then his spikeball teammate, then the older fraternity brother who had put him at ease during a hard transition to American University just two years ago. It was one month after the killing of George Floyd and Payne Reichardt, whatever his last name is, vice president of his fraternity, kicked off a virtual meeting that would break up the chapter he once adored. For two hours, the virtual group of 26 men discussed the lack of diversity in their fraternity chapter and the Instagram pages that shared anonymous accounts of racism and sexual assault at their school. The meeting ended with a unanimous vote to disband the chapter of Delta Tau Delta. White boy Malcolm X, can you see? Look at this kid. Look at the picture. I know, but he's like another, I'm going to, he's a pajama boy. He is like, can you see Graham Payne Reichert or whatever his last name is? Two hours, these 26 dopey kids. And they're not even millennials now. They're what, Gen Gen Z now. They're like, oh, look at us. We're just the white. 
Why don't we? Well, it's your own freaking fault, you pack of little racists. If you're not letting black people into your fraternity, blame yourselves. They're sitting around complaining about the lack of diversity in their fraternity. And who lets them into the fraternity? The the, the 26 racists on, on, the, on the Zoom call. The pressure was on those of us in Greek life to justify our existence. And we couldn't do it, said Payne Reichert, 20. I realized, Kit is 20 years old. He's already a little liberal douchebag. I realized that remaining complicit in the system was a moral issue, and it was one I could not live with. Oh, poor princess. In recent weeks, all nine sororities at Washington University in St. Louis have talked about whether they should permanently disband. They have also begun to discuss a new social system that could replace Greek life, suggesting fraternity houses could transform into cultural spaces for marginalized groups on campus. We are in a climate where traditionally white institutions are being targeted, and there's nothing more traditional and white and elitist than fraternities on a college campus, except for the black fraternities. Don't forget those. Said Alan DeSantis, author of the 2007 book Inside Greek U and a longtime fraternity advisor. This movement is without a doubt stronger than it has ever been. So let me back up just a bit. So Alan DeSantis... (laughs) is a longtime fraternity advisor to something he calls, you know, white and elitist. So he's, I wonder if he's a racist or not. I don't, I don't know why anyone's you know, worried about fraternity, you know, getting rid of fraternities. It looks like these, these pansy kids like Graham, they're going to do it in themselves. So this is what, this is what blame white training gets you is 26 white guys complaining about how there are no minorities in their, in their little club that they haven't let in. You know, I don't like fraternities, but whatever. I mean, stupid kids. This is from Vox, so you already know what you're going to get with this crap. How Beethoven's Fifth Symphony put the classism in classical music. Beethoven's most famous work changed the way we listen and how we're supposed to listen. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony starts with an anguished opening theme. Dun-dun-dun-dun. And ends with a glorious major key melody. Since its 1808 premiere... Audiences have interpreted that progression from struggle to victory as a metaphor for Beethoven's personal resilience in the face of his ongoing deafness. Or rather, that's been the popular read among those in power, especially the wealthy white men who embraced Beethoven and turned his symphony into a symbol of their superiority (laughs) and importance. I told you, this is Vox. For some in other groups, women... LGBTQ plus people, people of color, Beethoven's symphony may be predominantly a reminder of classical music's history of exclusion and elitism. One New York City classical music fan wrote in the 1840s, for example, that he wished all women shall be gagged by officers duly licensed for the purpose before they're allowed to enter a concert room. White boy Malcolm X, are you? (laughs) Do you feel excluded? Because of Beethoven's fifth, I, you know what? I'm not even going to let you answer the question. I actually, because I was in symphony orchestra back in high school, I've actually played this. Well, this is how self self loathing I am. Clearly, that I was complicit. I was complicit in the superiority and importance of wealthy white men because I played that song. I was I played string bass, and so I played Beethoven's symphony. And they had to go back to 1840s. Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding, these two little douchebags, they're probably going, well, we need to show that 
that Beethoven's symphony is 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 exclusionary and and, and racist and sexist and, and and it hates gay people. And the other one's like, oh man, I I found something from the 1840s. That that's exclusionary. That's proof of it. They're being you know we got to put that in there. Today, some aspects of classical culture are still about policing who's in and who's out. When you walk into a standard concert hall, there's an established set of conventions and etiquette. Don't cough. Don't cheer. Dress appropriately. That can feel as much about demonstrating belonging as appreciating the music. For classical music critic James Bennett II, Beethoven's popularity and centrality in classical culture is part of the problem. As you perpetuate the idea that the giants of all of the music all look the same, it conveys to the other that there's not a stake in that music for them, he said. Well, I mean, Beethoven is a dead white guy, so... You know, race, race literally has, has permeated ev- everything. Even this, classical music, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, is apparently racist, homophobic, and sexist, and exclusionary, and it's a tool of, of rich white men. I mean, Nate and Charlie, try harder next time because this article sucks. LeBron questions MVP voting after second place finish. And that, if you don't know who LeBron is, he's this guy that throws a ball through a hoop for a living. That's what he does. I mean, he's he's well paid for it. And I'm not one of these pansy liberals that goes, he makes too much money and there are school teachers and firefighters who don't. Oh, fire, never mind. Forget that about firefighters because they're near, they're kind of like the police. They're all racist, but... There are teachers who don't make nearly as much, and it's just not societally correct. So I'm not one of those types, but he does. He throws a ball through a hoop, and he makes good for him. I mean, he makes money as long as doing it. LeBron James said that his most recent second-place finish in the NBA's most valuable player voting left him both angry and questioning the judgment of the voters. He is definitely a liberal. What was the election? And they and when the, the I think it was the 1994 when the Republicans took over the House. And the Democrats, man, were they pissed at the voters. The Los Angeles Lakers star finished with 16 of a possible 101 first place votes, leaving him 209 points behind Milwaukee Bucks for Giannis. And I don't know how to pronounce that last name. I'm not even going to try. He is from Greece, but he is he is actually from he is of Nigerian descent, but he is Greek, who earned the award for the second straight season. The winner was announced Friday. Giannis received the other 85 first place votes, which seems to be the sticking point for poor little pissy James. It pissed me off because of 101 votes. I got 16 first place votes, James said. That's what pissed me off more than anything. You know, not saying that the winner wasn't deserving the MVP. That's exactly what you're saying. But that pissed me off. And I finished second a lot in my career, either from a championship and now four times as an MVP. Oh, Poor princess. Poor princess LeBron. Fool's not voting for him. I mean, this guy is, he is the male Michelle Obama. Who, if you don't know who Michelle Obama is, she is the former first lady who lives in a very lavish, you know, multi-million dollar house on Martha's Vineyard and cries about systemic racism because a white woman (laughs) cut her off at the ice cream stand. And she will never forget that. She is going to just throw herself on the cross every time. And that's what he is. He's he's an insufferable douchebag, LeBron James. And LeBron, if people don't like you, it's not because you're black. It's just because you're an asshole. And you cry like a little bitch because you came in second place. 
Sore loser. Speaking of poor princess, so LeBron James is the poor princess of the basketball world, and Michelle Obama is the poor princess of the former first lady world, and Colin Kaepernick is poor princess of the NFL. Kaepernick takes aim at NFL propaganda. That's right, folks. He is never happy, is he? Former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick said NFL social justice initiatives were propaganda on Sunday as scattered protests marked the first full day of the 2020 season, which I have not bothered to watch. Kaepernick, who launched his kneeling protests in 2016 to draw attention to racial injustice, questioned the sincerity of the NFL's stance against racism, citing the fact that fellow player activist Eric Reed remained unemployed. Reed, who joined Kaepernick's protests in 2016 when the two played for the 49ers, was released by the Carolina Panthers in March in a move that surprised many. The 28-year-old safety, who continued to kneel last season during the pregame playing of the U.S. National Anthem, has not been hired since. While the NFL runs propaganda about how they care about black life, they are still actively blackballing Eric Reed for fighting for the black community, Kaepernick wrote on Twitter. Eric set two franchise records last year and is one of the best defensive players in the league. I know they like to scream racism, but I have a, maybe an alternative theory. Maybe Eric's just kind of a pain in the ass. And maybe people just don't want to want to deal with him. I mean, I don't like Colin Kaepernick. I think he's I think he's kind of a douchebag. It's nothing to do with race. I think the guy's an asshole. He has a grossly over-aggrandized sense of self. I mean, this is another guy who throws balls for a living and he thinks the world revolves around him colin i i think you're a kind of a fake social justice warrior <laughs> i don't care about your afro you got you're just a fake social justice warrior and you're like a little diva you're like a little football diva and yes i guess that's just racist <sighs> i just this this one was just for you know crap and giggles as they say megan markle She's the she's the dopey chick that married Jin, the Prince Ginge, and she's also the one with the nutty father. Pitching documentary about Black Lives Matter founder as part of her big money Netflix deal. As part of her and Prince Harry's mega deal with Netflix, Meghan Markle is reportedly pitching a documentary about a Black Lives Matter co-founder, The Sun reports. Patrice Coolers, that's the one, I think, that I said if you Google angry lesbian, her face just pops right up who was one of the three individuals who founded the BLM movement and probably one of the only three individuals in BLM that is actually black, would be the subject of the documentary that Meghan Markle would apparently like to produce with Netflix. If you want White Boy Malcolm X, when you are done watching Kingdom, you know, your white trash MMA, MMA fighting show, you can watch a story about an angry black lesbian who founds BLM on Netflix. Cue that one up. The Mirror heard from a source who said that Meghan Markle pitched the documentary to Netflix because she's, quote, blown away by the incredible work Patrice has done in spearheading the BLM movement. She thinks her story needs to be told, and she would love to be the one to make it. Meghan Markle is a historic first for the British royal family, an African-American spouse of a senior royal, so perhaps it is a natural fit that she should seek to produce a Black Lives Matter documentary with Netflix. She's, I mean, she is not, she's half like half black so she's she's half black which is kind of like black lives matter it's kind of like we got some black in there you got a lot of white in there so she's like half and half but the problem is she's also half white and if you read white fragility you know that white people are inherently racist so can you imagine being of mixed race like like megan markle she's half 
full-on racist and half black, so she kind of hates half of herself, I, I think. I don't know. This is just going to be weird for me to see a BLM movie with black people in it. I, I'm sure they're going to have tons, tons of white people in it. Social justice white people. We're here to like fight, fight for racial equality. NPR, how the pandemic is widening the racial wealth gap. And this is an NPR story, so you know what you're going to get with this one too. Joeler Stanton used to be an assistant teacher at a private school in Baltimore and made about $30,000 a year. In mid-March, when the pandemic was just starting, her school closed for what was supposed to be two weeks. Up to that point, we were under the impression that it wasn't serious, that everything was going to be okay, Stanton recalls. But as schools in Maryland switched to virtual learning indefinitely, Stanton was let go from her job. She received her last paycheck in March. I had about $300 in savings that was basically gone by the end of March, she says. Stanton, who is capital B black, is caught up in a huge... No, it is. (laughs) I gotta do that. Is caught up in a huge wave of economic stress hitting Americans, especially people of color. 60% of capital B black households are facing serious financial problems since the pandemic began. According to a national poll released this week by NPR, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. That includes 41% who say they've used up most of their savings, while an additional 10% had no savings before the outbreak. Latinos and Native Americans are also disproportionately affected by the pandemic's economic impact. And and yes, I already see you waving your hand over there. It says Latinos and not Latinx. So whatever clown at NPR wrote this article is going to probably get in a little bit of trouble for that. 72% of Latinx and 55%, see, I can do it for them. 55% of Native American respondents say their households are facing serious financial problems compared to 36% of racist whites. The thing that immediately struck me was how large the gap was by race for people who said they were facing serious problems, said Valerie Wilson, director of the Program on Race, Ethnicity, and the Economy at the Economic Policy Institute. Really? White Boy Macamax, do you, do you believe that she was sitting there, Valerie Wilson, the director of the Program on Race, Ethnicity, and Economy at the Economic Policy Institute? Do you think she was sitting there going, Oh, heavens! Oh, my! I can't believe this racial disparity I'm seeing here. They wrote that article before they knew. I mean, okay, look, folks, I'm just saying this. If you're white and and out of a job and you have no money and you have no savings, you're still a racist and you get what you deserve. This is what pisses me off about this. Here, the pandemic's disproportionate financial impact on communities of color reflects and is worsening existing racial disparities in wealth, she adds. So if you're white and poor, you're still a racist and you probably deserve it anyway. Okay, I'm done with the race stuff. I just, every story is the same thing. Every story is the same. It's the same theme. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And you're not going to believe this one, white boy Malcolm X. Chlamydia and gonorrhea have increased among younger women's study finds. Rates of chlamydia and gonorrhea are increasing among women 18 to 30 in the United States, a recent study by Quest Diagnostics suggest. The study, recently published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, analyzed more than 17 million laboratory samples taken between 2010 and 2017 from females ages 12, 12 white by Malcolm X, to 30. Researchers found that while there was a decline in cases of chlamydia and gonorrhea among adolescents aged 12 to 17, 12 year olds, my God. Women of ages 25 to 30 experienced a 50% increase in positive test results. 
Women 18 to 24 had a 21% increase in positive test results over the period of the study. I just, I have a question, wait, but Malcolm X, where, where are these millennial women getting chlamydia and gonorrhea? I didn't think, and I may have to, you know, I might be wrong, but I didn't think millennial men actually had sex. And besides, who would have sex with these pajama boys anyway? I figured they were all in their their parents' basements playing playing video games. And I wrote this article. Bethany Io, A-O is her last name. There is nothing in this article. I am not even making this up. There's nothing in this article about where how minorities are disproportionately affected either. So it's just women in general. I would assume, given given what we've read here today about the, the chlamydia and gonorrhea increases, that they would break this out by race. But apparently Bethany Ao is must be some sort of rank amateur journalist who has not gotten the message yet about saying how gonorrhea and whatever, chlamydia, disproportionately affect minorities over white people. Speaking of dopey kids... Nearly 20% of millennials, Gen Z, in New York believe Jews caused the Holocaust. <laughs> and I'm not laughing about Jews or the Holocaust. I'm laughing about how stupid these kids are. Nearly 20% of millennials in Gen Z in New York believe the Jews caused the Holocaust, according to a new survey released on Wednesday. And that's not just AOC. The findings come from the first ever 50-state survey on the Holocaust knowledge of American millennials and Gen Z, which was commissioned by the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany. For instance, although there were more than 40,000 camps and ghettos during World War II, 58% of respondents in New York cannot name a single one. Additionally, 60% of respondents, not the kids that go and they take their, uh, their whatever the Instagram pictures at, at like Auschwitz, those stupid kids smiling and, oh, I'm at Auschwitz here. I'm, I'm Instagramming and I'm an influencer. Additionally, 60% of respondents in New York do not know that 6 million Jews were killed during the Holocaust. The results are both shocking and saddening, and they underscore why we must act now while Holocaust survivors are still with us to voice their stories, said Gideon Taylor, president of the Conference on Jewish Material Claim Against Germany. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, Gideon, but I, they're not shocking to me how stupid these kids are. So, I mean, this why does this surprise anyone? Most of these twits could not find Germany on, on a map of Europe if their life depended on it. And you could even put, you know, put the first letter of each country in and they would still miss it completely. They would they would put France. I mean, this is what this is what you get. The kids aren't learning this stuff. Why? Because what are they learning in schools, right? They're they're learning they have hate whitey training. I mean, look at these dopey kids disbanding their own fraternity because they're sitting around like lamenting their whiteness to each other about how they they're they're so racist because they can't even pick a black person, so they they're, they're throwing away their own fraternity. You look at the the trans acceptance classes, whatever, climate change, everything else they're learning. They don't have time to learn about uh, about the Holocaust. Chris Evans accidentally shares penis pic, driving Twitter wild. Oh, you sassy Twitter, you. Chris Evans appeared to accidentally upload nude pictures of himself while attempting to post an Instagram video on Saturday. While playing a game of Heads Up, the Captain America star, who is no longer Captain America, 39, shared a video with his 5.7 million loser followers without trimming the clip, which then revealed... <laughs> well, they are, I mean... What do you do? I'm going to be on, on Instagram. I'm going to follow Captain America. Loser. Without trimming the clip, which then revealed a gallery of videos and pictures, including one featuring a photo of an erect penis. Have you looked at that, White Boy Malcolm X? You have not. 
Neither have I. Evans quickly deleted the clip, but it was simply too late. As screenshots immediately hit Twitter, which was driven wild, apparently, sending the site into a frenzy with ample jokes about the mishap. Do you think that was an accident, White Boy Malcolm X? Because I do not. And you agree. Yes. I mean, let's face it. I mean, he's 39. He's like aging out quickly. And it's coming from someone who's about to turn 51. And he's not, he's, well, he's not that great of an actor. I mean, he's got to keep in, in the in the loop somehow. So he's like, I, I guess it's big enough that he would, White Boy Malcolm X, how big? It's uh, big enough that, you know, he, he he doesn't feel embarrassed to put it out, you know, accidentally. Oh, I accidentally put my, my dick pic up on, on uh, you know, Instagram. Anyway, on that front, jail for man in assault weapon case. Post-arrest strip search turned up a loaded pistol in Perp's butt. A Louisiana man, of course, and if my summit mistress is listening, and I know she is, this is just for you. A Louisiana man who was found to have a loaded pistol, only in Louisiana, well, Louisiana and Alabama and definitely Florida. (laughs) I bet half the people in Florida have a loaded pistol up their butts was found to have a loaded pistol in his buttocks during a jail strip search pleaded guilty today to weapons and contraband charges court records show. Police confronted Savoy, Justin Savoy, 24, a classy young man in Louisiana, and a female acquaintance after spotting suspicious activity at the woman's residence. During a pat-down of Savoy, cops recovered a concealed handgun, marijuana, and drug paraphernalia. They also subsequently seized several other guns from Savoy's truck, as well as homemade silencers. Damn, this... This little, what do you think of him? Because I know what your type is. White boy Malcolm X is over there. Mm-mm, good, yes. And you know what that is, folks? That is that is pure white trash. <laughs> My rich friend from uh, you know from the Tony Breckenridge, Colorado, has a has a white trash fetish apparently. Savoy was arrested and brought to a Lafourche Parish Sheriff's Office substation. Say that twenty times fast to be processed on a variety of criminal counts. It was during the intake process that Savoy was subjected to a strip search that revealed he was in possession of another firearm. According to police, listen to this. This is the good part, White Boy Malcolm X. Savoy had a 25 caliber Titan pistol concealed in his rear end. The handgun, which has a 2.5 inch barrel and measures 4.375 inches long, was loaded. Yes, he put a loaded. I, I no, I don't think a condom was on. <laughs> Even a magnum isn't going to fit that puppy. After Savoy's collar, the Golden Meadow police chief told TSG, "Whoever thought a twenty-five caliber pistol could be an assault weapon? He was ass alt weapon." Oh my god! I don't know how he got the thing up there. I mean, that's a lot of lube. <laughs> or that that queen is a raging power bottom, and that thing just popped right up in there. And on that note, folks, we're out of here. Thanks again for joining us. I appreciate you tuning in to the Miller Frost Show. Of course, I am Miller Frost. I am still, even after all of this, America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual. My email, Miller at MillerFrostOnline.com. Feel free to shoot me an email if you want. White Boy Malcolm X and I are out of here. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've had as much fun, if not more, than, than the two of us have had. And we look forward to having you join us here again uh, on next Sunday. So take care.